Hi, my name is Colin Wood, and welcome to the Long Hollow Stories Podcast. Jen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you're an author, that you have written a couple of books, uh, None Like Him, Ten Ways God is Different from Us and Why That's a Good Thing. And then your latest one came out a year or two ago. And what is that one called? Um, my first book was Women of the Word. And okay, it was a that was book the first about, one. Then. Yeah, and then the second one was None Like Him. And okay. then I actually have a follow-up to None Like Him that's coming out in May, I believe, and it's called In His Image. Okay. Uh, 10 Ways We Can Reflect God's Character. That's that's amazing. So I was reading your bio. You're a wife. This is how you describe yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A wife, a mom to four great kids, and an advocate for believers to love God with their minds through the faithful study of his word. Yeah. Bible literacy is my big drumbeat. Okay. Um, the most common email that I get, and I get it almost on a, a, a weekly basis, is from someone in the church who says, I have been in the church my whole life, mm. and no one has ever taught me how to study the Bible. So I'm out to fix that. I feel like that's something we should probably do well in the church. So, uh, yeah, so I I write and teach with that in mind. Now, the Women of the Word book, is that the focus of that book, How to Study God's Word? Mm -hmm. It's basically uh, describes the study method that I use in the the study that I lead in my own church. And it's what I would say on the first day of each semester if I had about six hours, and I never (laughs) do. So it was pretty satisfying to get it all down in one place. (laughs) Now, you and your family live in Texas, is that right? We're in Flower Mound. Okay. That's an actual name of a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where would be the closest name of a place that other people would recognize? Dallas. Dallas. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're a little bit northwest of Dallas. So for me, when I talk to people not from Nashville and they ask me where I live, I don't say Gallatin. I just say Nashville. Nashville. Do y'all right. do the same thing? We do, but it's so fun to say that you live in a place named Flower Mound <laughs> that you kind of have to work it in. So the most important question about where you live, though, is how close to Chip and Joanne Gaines do you live? Okay, if you had told me <laughs> 10 years ago that the number one question I would get when I traveled would be, have you been to Waco? I would not have believed it. But that's Waco now is the a number place one you, question? It's a place you drive through. It's not a place you hang out. I mean, Chip and Joe are trying to change that. And of course, everybody thinks, oh, they're Christians, you're Christian, you guys must know yeah, each other, right? must hang. Yeah, no, that's no, not the case. No, and that's like three hours away, right? Yeah, I mean they seem nice, but they haven't come knocking on my door. <laughs> but kind of everyone seems nice on TV. Yeah, so. I'm pretty sure if you'd ever been to my house, you would know that I'm not friends with Chip and Joe. <laughs> <clears throat> well, we appreciate you being here uh, tonight. We're recording this on Sunday, uh, the night of Momentum, our women's conference. So thank you for being here to speak to them. Uh, tonight. Oh, it's my privilege. Tell me a little bit um, about what you're you're talking about tonight. One one of the things I was reading on your blog uh, recently, um, you you talked about a common admonition that's offered to Christian moms um, that people say, "Don't find your identity in yeah. being a mom. It's found, found find it in Christ." Mm-hmm. And you talked about how 
that's good, but that can be misconstrued too. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think a lot of times we use the question of identity to sort of shame women over the things that they care deeply about. Mm. Uh, so it's possible to care deeply about your family and your husband and your job mm-hmm. and your uh, your ministry without it being idolatrous. Mm. And so that's kind of the point I wanted to make, I think, in the post that you're referencing was um, what, what women often hear when they hear things like, don't find your identity in being a mom, that's a little confusing. Like, what am I supposed to do? Love my children less? And how does that look practically, right? And of course, what we mean is don't let that be the thing that defines your worth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But but often, any intense emotion that we feel for anything that feels like it's not also for the Lord, Mm -hmm. we can feel paranoid about. But, you know, I would love to know how it's possible for me to be a mom of small children, really of children of any age, and for it not to define who I am for that season of life. If I'm working as unto the Lord, it's going to. Yeah. Uh, but then when that season passes, I think how I respond to that says a lot about whether it was something that was healthy or unhealthy. And you you even talk about in this post that it really gets to motivation, mm-hmm. like what's behind right. the identity. And so, yeah, it may be that it's a busy season, mm-hmm. um, but what, where are, what's the motivation behind where you're finding your worth? So how do you, what do you say to moms who maybe are in that stage with little ones, um, who every second of every day seems to be focused on these, this one or two or three or four blessings that God has, <laughs> has given you to take care of? Tiny demanding coworkers. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, you know, I think that we can overlook that many of the everyday activities of mothering small children are very close, if not identical, to when Jesus tells his disciples that when you've done these for the least of these, it's as though you've done them for me. Hmm. It's taking care of the sick. It's clothing the naked. It's feeding the hungry. Those are very motherly um, functions. And so when we recognize that to perform them for the least of these, who are sometimes those who are living under our own roof, Um, is actually sacred, um, that it's as though we've done them for the Lord. It changes our focus. We want to do them well, not because we want to raise kids who make us look good, but because we serve the Lord in doing that. Hmm. So how does a mom, how does a woman um, fight that tendency to find her worth in those things? Is it something that she tells herself, or is that where you get to why it's so important to be in God's Word. Well, that's where you get to it. You are right. And I I, want to say up front that when you are a mother of small children, um, having been a mother of many small children at once, I mean, I had four kids in four years, so I get your stage of life. So please don't hear me say, hey, why don't you do an intensive inductive Bible study for an hour, an hour and a half every single day while your children are small? Um, But there are ways that when we do have time to interact with the scriptures that are, frankly, better than others Mm -hmm. with regard to keeping our focus in the proper place with regard to our identity. And, uh, you know, this is what we get to talk about tonight a little bit about how when we come to the scriptures, we come to them asking the wrong question. Usually we come asking, who am I? Mm. Uh, and this is, you know, my crashingly obvious statement that I always uh, bring to these events, and it is, the Bible is a book about God. So we should ask of the Bible the question that it is attempting to answer, and that is, it wants us to know who God is. Hmm. 
If you uh, have ever studied theology, the opening lines of Calvin's Institute say that the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self always go hand in hand. There Mm -hmm. is no true knowledge of self apart from the knowledge of God. In other words, we can't understand who we are until we have considered who God is because Mm -hmm. we exist in relation to him. So uh, when a a young mom, really any woman, Mm -hmm. has a chance to come to the scriptures and spend time there, rather than come asking, who am I, ask them to speak first of the I am. And then uh, when we see who God is revealed to be in a particular passage, so, I mean, it could be anything. It could be um, in the creation narrative. Uh, God is um, self-existent. No one gives him life, right? Mm -hmm. And then how does that help me understand myself differently. Well, particularly for a young mom, I think we have a tendency to look around at those kids and be like, I actually gave you life. I am the creator and sustainer of this little universe that exists within these four walls and all within it will bring glory to me, right? And we're going to bring order out of chaos if it's the last thing that we do today. And it can turn you into someone who needs something from your role there other than that you would be imaging the creator God. Mm. Mm. So powerful, too, to think of where uh, culture and society is the exact opposite of that, where Mm -hmm. it is all focused about me and what's in it for Mm -hmm. me and what brings me the most satisfaction or glory. And it's because we've, we've got it flipped. We've got it backwards. Well, it's fascinating. Even secular research has shown that um, when people go outside and experience nature or Mm -hmm. grandeur, when they experience awe, that it makes them less self-focused and Mm -hmm. it makes them less um, inward turned and less narcissistic and Mm -hmm. self-seeking because we all need that experience of, oh my gosh, there's something bigger than me Mm -hmm. to put us back in our our rightful place, to to orient us rightly to the world around us. Even lost people can Mm -hmm. get that, right? Absolutely. Uh, But for the believer, Sure. I mean, we can look at it in nature and see broad brushstrokes that speak to us that God is is big, right? But in the scriptures, we have drawn with a fine tip pen that mm. that 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 picture of who He is, and so uh, we know that we can feel awe, experience awe in a way that brings spiritual health. Yes, by natural revelation, but we also have this beautiful gift of sixty six books of of special revelation mm. for those who are believers. So do, do you have a, a recommended pattern of reading the Bible? I know it's very um, popular now for us to to post a picture of a verse or a, <laughs> a, a part of a verse and um, and send that out there with no context. Right, um, right. Do, do you have—and I'm not degrading that in any way, but do you have a recommended way that you encourage women to read the Bible or a way you read the Bible? Yeah, you should read you should treat the bible with the same level of respect that you would give to any other book and the way that we often read the bible is with less respect than we would give to a common textbook well. to the work of shakespeare um you wouldn't even read a letter that you got in the mail the way that we read the bible you would not get a letter in the mail not look at the envelope, tear into it, pull out three pages of it, turn to the second page and read a paragraph and ask how it should change your life. (laughs) Right? No, you're right. And so um, my big push is that when you are spending time in the scriptures, do it in an orderly manner. God is a God of order. Hmm. And each of the 66 books of the Bible was written by a specific person to a specific audience for a specific purpose and, and, and should be read accordingly. Like when I, I've written two books now, well, three, really three books now. 
I did not sit down and think, oh, I'll just kind of throw this all together. Like I had a, I started in a particular place. I built to a particular point and then I wrapped up in a particular, I reiterated things I wanted them to remember. I told stories that made my point. And so, um, you know, the Instagram Bible is a perfect example of how we just would rather not do this. We tend to medicate ourselves with the way that we approach the scriptures. We want to feel a certain way. And so Mm -hmm. we pull out the verse that makes us feel good. Uh, Mm -hmm. A good example, one I see often out on Instagram is, um, I think it's Exodus 10.10. I'm forgetting the reference now. You have only to stand still and God will fight for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, that sounds so great, except that two or three chapters later, he tells them to go fight, right? So right. you're like, oh, shoot. Yeah, we never put that yeah, one on Instagram. Yeah, and so, you know, we're, we're picking or we're leaving out the parts that, you know, maybe didn't fit in the frame. And I actually I actually kind of love the hand lettering movement and all sure. the, the beauty that's out there around these verses. But my, my push for anyone who is in that world is please don't ever post something um, with that, if you don't know what came before and what came after and, yeah. and how this verse fits into the context that it's in, we need to start reading in context and we need to read books of the Bible from start to finish the way they were intended to be read. Well, and your, your example of tearing open a letter without looking at the envelope, mm-hmm. I, I think you're implying that we even need to understand the context of that that book. So find out who the author yeah. is and who it was written to and mm-hmm. what time period, what right. was happening know to the church. something about the history the and culture, right? Try to get in their skin a little bit. Our church as a whole um, has been encouraged to read through the Bible um, using a reading plan called the F260, which is 260 chapters or sections of books throughout the year, so five days of reading every week, and systematically you'll work through the entire narrative of Scripture. And it it really is neat to see um, how you find places where God speaks to you through passages that you would never just go to. That's right. (laughs) uh, Because you're on a plan and you're reading systematically. Well, who would ever read Leviticus without being forced, right? I mean, no one's having their devotional, 10-minute devotional in Leviticus. Right, yeah. You don't get to the end of 10 minutes of that and be like, oh, I feel really ready for my day now. You're like, (laughs) what just happened? I know, I feel like, yeah, I'm cursed now or something. <laughs> well, tell me about scripture memory. What do you have a system or do you like to memorize scripture? How is that? How do you incorporate that into your study? Why don't you ask me a loaded question I'm next sorry. time? I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, I, I actually... didn't ask you to quote whatever you're, you're memorizing <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm I'm 49 and my memory is going, and I find that scripture memory for me is as hard as it has ever been. I grew up doing scripture memory, uh-huh. like we memorized verses to get to go to summer camp, of course, and uh, and they were all pulled out of context, of course. But I mean, it was still it was still beneficial, and they were in the King James, so I have that always rolling around in my head. But in adulthood, I have not um, been systematic. And like, I don't write something on a note card and commit it to memory. I have found that the thing that works best for me is repetitive reading. Hmm. And so I call it my lazy girl scripture memory method. I, one of the things that I advocate for with regard to Bible literacy is um, pick a book, read it and then read it again, and then read it again, and so on and so forth. And so the portions of Scripture that I have committed to memory are the ones that I have studied the most and read the most, but mm-hmm. probably not because I sat down and and tried in a regimented way to commit them to memory. I'm not saying that that's a winning solution. I'm saying that is what has worked for that's, me. That's, yeah. that's descriptive, maybe not prescriptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. Well, I... I think I would agree with that wholeheartedly because I have t- there have been seasons in my walk with God where I've uh, spent 
a couple of months reading the book of Philippians or right. the book of Ephesians over and over and over again and journaling through it and then starting over again. Yeah. Um, it surprises me every time that it doesn't get old mm-hmm. and that that there's something new every time yeah. I, I come to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that just goes to the fact that this this word is living. It's God breathed. Right. And so uh, God is speaking every time we, we read it. So we talked a little bit about moms and identity um, that women may find um, in children or motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but there'll be a lot of younger girls here tonight right. too, maybe that don't have kids or maybe aren't even married or in school still. Um, Talk to them a little bit about what are some myths they they believe or some lies they believe, and what would would your advice be the same to them? Yeah, I actually don't think that this is uh, is that different depending on your life stage. I mean, it, it fits into a different category, perhaps, mm-hmm. but women in particular. So I think there are three three areas in which we can fall into an identity pit. One is with with regard to possessions, one is with regard to relationships, and one is with regard to circumstances. If you need something from your possessions, or if having the possessions that you have does something for you that you would not want to lose, right, then you probably have some unhealthy relationship to your possessions. And Mm. these categories are not accidental. I I ripped them out of the 10th command not to (laughs) covet, right, because it covers those three categories. And uh, I think covetousness can be a a warning sign to us of Mm. where we are slipping into an identity crisis, because if you really want what someone else has, it's probably because you have a false assumption about their level of happiness or completeness related to yours. Mm -hmm. And you're also indicating that there is something outside of finding yourself to be in a relationship with Mm -hmm. Christ that is necessary for you to be whole. So I think if you're a, a, all of us have primary relationships, right? And that's probably where we're going to be most tempted to find our identity somewhere other than in being a child of God. So for a single girl, she has parents, right? She Mm -hmm. has grandparents, she has close friends, she has coworkers. We all have people who are receiving the lion's share of our attention or care, uh, Mm -hmm. depending on what stage of life we're in. Uh, For an older woman whose children are out of the home, she probably has aging parents who she's now having uh, a caring role with that she hasn't had before that is going to pull her into perceiving herself. Um, You know, you can develop a savior complex around just about any primary relationship that you enter into. People who have family members in crisis, that's a really easy way to get drawn into a a mismatch on Mm -hmm. where is my identity found. I need to save this person or I need to fix this person or I need this person to save me or fix me. Mm. So I think these are general categories that apply to us as humans. And and if they were, uh, I think, sadly, and what I think you're pointing to is that the church belabors wife and mother, wife and mother, wife and mother, wife and mother. And um, that's to our loss because we, we can leave a large percentage of our women uh, sort of floundering out there like, well, is the word of God not for me? Yeah. Is that the pinnacle of human experience to be a wife yeah. and a mother? Which then we're almost perpetuating that... Identity crisis, that identity right? Crisis. Yeah. 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 And even we have friends that are single and aspire to one day get married, if mm-hmm. that's what, what God uh, blesses them with. Um, and yet I think that's a trap you can fall into that thinking, well, until I'm married... Mm-hmm. 
I won't be whole or I won't, I won't have the identity that I, they're finding their identity in this future right. mate that who knows what God has for them. Yeah. Or they're trapped in identity from their past. Hmm. That's one of the things that we'll talk about tonight. Don't tell. Don't tell if you're listening. <laughs> um, but that's a when we do that, when we are consumed with our past mm-hmm. or consumed with our future in a way that robs us of the present, we're actually ascribing eternality to ourselves in a way that is only true of God. Mm. So we're not just having an identity crisis around who am I. We are actually saying, I want to be like God. I want to be in the past or I want to be in the future. But because of the limits that God has placed on us as human beings, we are only created to live in the present. So anytime we push against those God-given boundaries that are for our good and try to uh, basically do what Adam and Eve do in the garden, right? Mm -hmm. We reach for that which is not ours. It says you'll become like God. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was the message to Eve. And so when we trap ourselves in the past or the future. And it's interesting because it can either be a past that you hated or a past that you loved, right? Or a future that you're thinking that's going to be better or that you dread because you think it can't possibly be better than where you are now. Uh, And and anytime we do that, we are trying to be like God in a Mm. way that we are not designed to be as those who reflect him, but do not rival him. There's Mm. a difference between reflecting and rivaling. Well, and once again, it goes back to having a right view of who God is right. and who we are in light of who God is. And the best way that we can do that is what you were talking about, is being in his word and allowing him to reveal himself to us. We need a, We don't just need to know who God is. We need a vision of God high and lifted up. We need mm. a transcendent God. We need a God who evokes awe. And what many of us have is a sort of snuggly daddy God Hmm. who I'm all for snuggly daddy God. I am not looking to get rid of that, but that is always balanced with, um, you know, the, the, the primary descriptor that women get hit over the head with from the scriptures is Proverbs 31, 30. Mm -hmm. Um, Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Not a woman who adores Jesus is to be praised. Not a woman who is twirling in a field and a soft focus film on her. But a woman who lives in right reverence to who God is, that Mm. is who is commended. And often I think that our identity crisis is related to lacking a right reverence for God because Mm. that turns us upward and outward instead of inward. So helpful. It's going to be really light and fluffy tonight. Yeah, it sounds like it. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is so um, encouraging to hear what a proper view of God can do for for us. Uh, I personally think that this message is not just for women, by the way, uh, because men need this exact, I need this exact same message. So you're saying in my that life. you have primary relationships and you have yes, possessions and you have circumstances. Things, yeah, it's crazy of us. Crazy, Other isn't it? Other than motherhood. Yeah, um, yeah. All of those same things. But that does lead me to my next question is help me as a husband um, with my, and as a dad, because yeah. I, I have daughters. So what can I do to encourage my wife and my daughters um, in having a right identity? I hope this will also help you as a man leading in the local church. Um, one of the realities of being a, a, an embodied female is that while men outgrow their memory of vulnerability, typically, women never do. So men reach... Um, physical adulthood, and they forget what it's like to be afraid 
in, in many uh, environments. So the way that I always try to clarify this point is I ask my husband, when you're walking down a dark alley, what do you do? And he sat there and he stared at me and he said, what do you mean? <laughs> He's 6'5". And I said, well, you know, like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And he said, I'm thinking, where did I park? <laughs> and so I asked um, some of the guys I work with, and I got yeah. very similar responses. But if you ask a woman, when you're in a dark alley, what are you doing or what are you thinking? She will tell you, I'm hypervigilant. I, um, I have my cell phone out so that mm-hmm. I can pretend like I'm talking on it. Um, someone back years ago told me that if I put my keys between my fingers, I could use them as like brass knuckles yeah. if someone attacks so me. So they're preparing. So what is that? That's a, that is yeah. an awareness even into adulthood of physical vulnerability. And yeah. if you've paid attention to Me Too and Church Too, you know. Um, it's been so interesting to watch the responses of men to that where they're, they're saying things like, you're kidding me. This is the way you encounter the world around you. And women are saying collectively for the first time in human history, thanks to social media, which it turns out is not all terrible. (laughs) Yes, this is what it's like to be an embodied female. Hmm. And why are we weaker than men? Because God created us that way. Hmm. I don't know why. And again, that's generally speaking, right? There are obviously some women who could who could beat you up sure. and and but but generally speaking is a category. And so because we're embodied females and even into adulthood we have prescribed times where we encounter weakness in a greater way uh, than than other times. So pregnancy is an example. Even if a woman is a cage fighter, when she's nine months pregnant, she's not taking anybody down, yeah. right? So we understand vulnerability intuitively. And that means that um, when you want to encourage women in their contributions, whether it is as daughters, whether it is as wives or mothers or in the local church, you should be thinking, how does this person probably perceive vulnerability and the needs associated with it with more intuitive urgency than I do? Hmm. So the example that I give to try to bring this home is if you look at foreign missions, Mm -hmm. the percentage of women in foreign missions relative to men. Last article I read said, 75% of lay missionaries are women. Hmm. Why? Women run to the vulnerable. Hmm. Who's working in your nursery? Women. Women run to the vulnerable. Who is more likely to see widows and orphans issues more quickly? It's probably going to be women. It doesn't mean that men are bad or insensitive. Hmm. It means that men are embodied males and encounter the world from a different vantage point than women do. And they're going to see and run to needs more intuitively that are different than those that women do which is probably why in Genesis 2, it says that we need each other. Yeah, so helpful. Uh, can your next book be to men, to, to husbands <laughs> and dads, to just explain more of that, just if you can go into more detail about that, I would appreciate that. Did you see there was a statistic out last week that said that men uh, read 90% male authors and 10% female authors? And women read about 50-50. Wow. I thought that was, I was like, why do men lack a natural yeah, curiosity about the female mind? Do female authors write more books geared towards women, maybe? I don't know. Well, uh, I think it has a lot to do with the publishing industry, honestly. They put, mm. if you have seen the cover to my most recent book, it is, uh, it's almost as though it was painted with estrogen. <laughs> it is like so floral. And and actually, some brave men did, did read it. So kudos to you guys out there. Um, but I do think, you know, Christian publisher well publishers in general think okay from a marketing standpoint yeah. i have to choose 
That's a shame. I mean, it is what it is. That's a shame. Well, hopefully ladies and men will listen to this podcast at least. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they will. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being, again, being here to share um, with the ladies that are here at Momentum tonight, just about what God desires for them in their walk with Christ um, and being with us here on the podcast to share with us. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Long Hollow Stories podcast. If you have a story you would like to share or have a question concerning today's episode, email us at podcast at longhollow.com.